Welcome to episode 157 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is ready to live his best life in 2023, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, it's the start of a new year. Yeah, cam- campus isn't fully open yet. No, no, no. Doors are locked that are normally open. <laughs> Parking lots are empty. Yeah. But uh, we're recording actually on the day this drops. But it's, it's, it's like a balmy – it's supposed to be like 60 degrees today. Yep. But rainy and wet all day. I'm fine with it. Yeah, though I, it's not going to last. We got in a couple of days it'll be back to normal. But um, yeah, so this is our first episode of 2023. Yep. The start of although we don't conceptualize it this way, essentially the start of season four of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. We don't talk about it in those terms, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So four years ago this week, yep. we walked into a studio, and we. Set up some microphones and we hit record. Is it four years ago? Th- well, three years ago. Three years ago. Three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. January of 2020. Yep. And we dropped our first episode. We weren't actually sure it got out there and <laughs> yeah. lo and behold, it did. That's right. That's right. So um, how was your uh, – how was your holiday break in the new year? I mean we, we have not been in the studio in a couple weeks now because we recorded in advance because both of us were out and about for Yeah. Um, I mean it was, it was marked by – I think lots of people's holidays were marked by this. But marked by illness, you know, cold, flu, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've been in the process of buying a new house. So it feels like I answer four or five emails a day about that and I yeah. make phone calls and those sorts of things. Plus reading. So that that's that's been a good part of my break. Yeah. How about yourself? Um yeah, uh you know, we were on the road for a week uh out in Omaha with Kate's family and that was good. Classic Christmas town Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we drove out there on Christmas Eve. So the first chunk of that drive from Warsaw into Chicago was uh life threatening. Mhm. But we knew once we got past there, we'd be all right. So we where'd decided you, to risk it. Where'd you stay in Chicago? We didn't stay in Chicago. Oh, you just drove through? Just drove through. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, 50 mile an hour winds, icy conditions, white knuckled grip on the steering wheel. <laughs> Trying to downplay it to everybody else in the car. It's fine. Yeah. Nothing's wrong. Yeah. This is fine. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, it was funny. We were on our way out there. We had gotten past Chicago and Nate from Ohio calls us because he was supposed to make the drive from where he lives in Ohio to Chicago to join up with his wife and kids for Christmas. And so he's trying to get a feel for what the roads were like from you know Warsaw to – because he passes right through there. Sure. And uh, we had a little uh, – discussion about that and he basically ended up not going because the roads were so bad in Ohio, not mm. as bad in, in Indiana. Yeah. But, I was texting um, with him maybe two days before Christmas, maybe okay. three days before Christmas about about that drive. Yeah. He said afterwards that somebody made the drive that he knew and it took 12 hours. 
which normally that should be about a five. Yeah, I was thinking five or six. Five or six yeah. hour drive for him. So Cut your speed in half. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, if you would like to contact the show to tell us about your Christmas travels or anything else, you can contact us on Twitter at VNSPod. Email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And how about starting the new year right? How about going on to your podcast platform and leaving a five-star rating? Absolutely. even a review. I mean, what better way to start? You know what didn't get five stars over the break? What's that? Southwest Airlines. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was a uh, disaster for them. Do you know anybody that got caught in that? Yeah. How, not, how, not well, but I know I know some people who got stuck. I mean, I think they got stuck in Phoenix, so they'd gotten to their destination, but they couldn't get back. They couldn't get back. Oh gosh, that's awful. Which, if you're going to get stuck somewhere, Phoenix Phoenix is, is pretty isn't good. the worst place yeah. in the world to get. Particularly stuck. with the winter storm that yeah, exactly. hit the Midwest. Exactly. So, yeah, rough uh, rough week for Southwest. Oh, very. Yeah, which is crazy because they have such a good reputation. Um. And so for them to to have such issues is, I think, surprising. I mean, mm-hmm. out of all the airlines, it feels like people you know, people love to trash Delta, United, American, the big three. And then – but there's typically kind of a loyal following of Southwest folks that are like, oh, Southwest is great and, you know, but that was a train wreck. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like it's – they haven't invested in their computer system quite as much as they should. Yeah. Um, so any uh, any Christmas gifts in particular that stood out to you that you're like, oh, this was fabulous? Um, oh, my goodness. Or maybe the one that you gave that you were really excited to give. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> um, I did get a pair of wireless over-the-ear headphones for travel. Uh, I found that my in-ear earbuds were not sufficient for planes. So I got some over-the-ear. Like they didn't keep out the noise or – uh, sometimes I couldn't hear them over oh, over wow. like engine noise or oh, things wow. like that. Okay. So um, over the ear headphones for planes. That was a um, one that something that I asked for. Mm-hmm. I got a couple of books in the popular patristic series. All right. Um, got Tim Keller's new Forgive book, which was which which I haven't started yet, but looking forward to it. That's your boy. Yep. Um, got a couple Thomas Kidd books. All right. The Great Awakening. Um, and Tom, Patrick Henry. Okay. Biography of Patrick Henry, who, nice. who I know very little about. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that. Other, Have, than, other than give me liberty or give me death. Yeah. that I mean, that's what he's known for. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? Anything stand out? I just basically listed off everything. <laughs> Not wanting to offend anyone, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think um, – I also got a massive amount of books, which I'm looking forward to uh, diving into. Um, one in particular, a couple in particular that stood out in that collection are um, there's a book by John Mead and Peter Gurry called Scribes and Scripture. It's sort of how we got the Bible. I've heard of this. Really interesting stuff. And yeah. then uh, Neil Shenby, his apologetics book came out, Why Believe? Ah. And so I'm interested to to check that out as well. Those were Two of the ones that that stood out to me um, in that group, but uh, and also I got um, I got a shacket. Are you familiar with what a shacket is? No, I have no idea. Okay, so it's a it's a 
it's essentially a flannel but more insulated than a typical flannel. It has a fleece lining and then like a, almost like a coat lining on the sleeves and it has a hoodie on it. Oh. So it's a combination of essentially of a jacket mm-hmm. and like a sweatshirt kind of thing. So nice. It's called a shacket. Very it is nice. remarkably comfortable. I imagine so. Yes. So I was very excited about that. All right. We should move on to talk about the world of sports. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, now's the time for me to, to kind of process verbally yeah. what happened over the weekend. Yeah. Um, right at the stroke of midnight. Yes. Nonetheless. Yes. Um, Cinderella uh, found out that uh, she was no longer the princess at the, uh, mm-hmm. at the strike of midnight there. So um, Ohio State loses in a heartbreaker to Georgia in the college football playoff, 42-41. Did you watch any of the game? No. No. Okay. I was asleep. <laughs> um, it was a fabulous game. It, it, even if you were not, didn't have rooting interest, it was very entertaining, very uh, competitive. Um, Ohio State at three points in the game had a two-touchdown lead and could not hold it. That's right when I went to bed. I checked the score on my phone, said, I think they have it in the bag. They led by 14 going into the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. and lost. Now, um, yeah, the offense played amazing. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. had a phenomenal first quarter plus where they just couldn't cover him. and C.J. Stroud, I think, increased his draft stock significantly. He had a monster game. Um, the The heartbreaking thing about that game was I think we led for 50 – either were tied or led for 58 minutes of that game, but not at the final buzzer. Yeah. Uh, so um, very impressed with how the offense played and – what killed us ultimately, I think, besides the defense just not being good enough, um, was we lost Marvin Harrison Jr. to a concussion at the end of the third quarter on a play that was originally flagged as targeting but then was taken away as targeting, which again, who knows what targeting is in college football? I have no idea what it is anymore. Yeah, it feels very subjective. The player launched, made contact with into the head and neck area to a defenseless receiver. I don't know why that's not targeting. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Ohio State then lost him for the rest of the game. So for the entire fourth quarter, if you look at their offense, they were without their two best wide receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison. They were without their two best running backs, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. They were without their two best tight ends, Cade Stover and um, G. Scott. Tough to move the ball mm-hmm. when you're playing against a very good defense and you don't have your two best two best players at each of the skill positions besides quarterback. Yeah, outside of quarterback. So um, that cost us. But uh, proud of the effort they put in. Um, but uh, spending $1.9 million on a defensive coordinator – and giving up a total of 87 points in our two biggest games of the year, not good enough. No. He's got one more year to, to improve that or he's done. Uh, other semifinal, very entertaining game. TCU upsets 
Michigan. Yeah. Did I you kept, see any of that? Nah, I kept tabs. Okay. I think they were both on ESPN. They were. Which I don't get. Okay. Um, so, you know, some there, – there was some borderline – there were a couple of calls that went against Michigan in terms of the officiating. But to anyone who thinks that they lost the game because of that, you're fooling yourself. You cannot give up two pick sixes, two oh, pick yeah. sixes, and then fumble on first and goal at the one-yard line. And then when you're down six, last, last-ish play of the game on fourth down, fumble the snap. That's why you lost. Oh, yeah. That's Absolutely. why you lost. Now, I, I think the interesting thing coming out of that game is the news that Jim Harbaugh is listening to NFL teams. Yeah, he, I, well, uh, our own pastor is hoping that he will become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts next I've year. I've heard Denver, Yeah, that, that he may be the Denver head coach. I would not be shocked at all if he goes because he, he interviewed last year. With the Vikings. Yes. Yeah. And I think he probably figures – I don't – yeah, I just – I think he wants to go back to the NFL. I think he's gotten Michigan back to a point where he's like, I've beaten Ohio State twice. I've won the Big Ten. I've gotten to the college football playoff. Well, for whatever reason, when he left San Francisco, his reputation was not good. Yeah. I don't know why that why that is, uh, but he had to go back. And I think he's rehabilitated his reputation at, at yeah. Michigan. And I, I, I think – I mean you don't have to recruit nope. in the NFL. Nope. Uh, you get to focus on football. You don't have to worry about students making grades, grades, all sorts of things. Taking money under the table from somebody that they're not supposed to. The I'll, transfer po- portal. Yeah. Not only do you got to be recruiting freshmen, you have to be recruiting transfers now. Maintain, you have to recruit your own team you have to every recruit year. Your, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a disaster. Yeah. So um, that wouldn't surprise me. So that means Georgia and TCU will play Georgia begins as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah. So I think the actual national title game was the Georgia-Ohio State semifinal. Mm-hmm. So it could be proven wrong. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to the NFL. Um, your Jets are now out of the playoff race, correct? That's correct. Okay. Uh, missed opportunities there for them. Yeah, I mean um, if you go back, we started our, – our, our downward spiral began when – uh, in the same game, we lost our rookie running back, Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is against Denver. And our uh, should-be Pro Bowl um, offensive guard, uh, okay. Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, who who played left guard, right guard, left tackle, and right tackle in the first seven weeks of the season. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And did so at a Pro Bowl level at each space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so – when we lost both of them, we, we absolutely lost our running game, and mm-hmm. it was it was really downhill from there. The defense did not look good on Sunday against the Seahawks. Yeah. Um, Do you want them to draft a quarterback, or are you are you okay with Mike White? He didn't. He did not look good on Sunday. Because here's the thing: this uh, this uh, quarterback class coming out in the draft this year will be good and deep. So you don't have to have like a top 10 pick to get a guy that could be your franchise quarterback. Yeah. I would like to see us – So by that I mean you, New York will probably be in the middle of the first round based on – Yeah, 13-15, somewhere yeah. in that ballpark. So there still should be a top-tier quarterback 
probably available at that number. I would think so. Um, I would like us to get a rookie quarterback, but I would also like us to sign um, a veteran. Yeah, so somebody who could come in and run the offense competently, whether that's for for two two to three years, whether that's Jimmy G, whether that's uh, Derek Carr, um, somebody who can come in, run the offense, move mm-hmm. the ball down the field, uh, and and put up points. Yeah, um, I think the Jets were going to be like if if the Jets were able to score eighteen points in a game, which isn't a ton. I think they their record is something they have like eleven wins or twelve wins on the season. Yeah, right now. So, um, and then the big story last night. Yeah, this was huge. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you weren't watching this either, but uh, no, I was asleep. So I this was this morning. Uh, during the Bills and Bengals game, which huge matchup. Like, oh yeah, the, they're those are the two of the three best teams in the AFC. Uh, yep. The Chiefs being in the mix as well. But uh, huge Monday night playoff implications in terms of like seeding and potential buy and all that. And um, towards the end of the first quarter, uh, Bills player Damar Hamlin went to make a tackle and um, stood up after making the tackle and then literally just collapses. Yeah. And uh, scary scene. Now, here's what's crazy. So – I was watching the game. I saw that, but I didn't, see, I, I didn't see the replay in terms of like him like just collapsing. I saw, oh, they stopped play for an injury. Meanwhile, I look on my phone I'm like, oh, Purdue is losing to Rutgers. Purdue's ranked number one in college basketball. Mm. I'll click over there, see the end of that game, watch the end of the game, come back, and I'm like – they haven't played since then. They've still got people on the field. Like, yeah. And so then I'm rushing to Twitter to figure out what the heck happened and then saw a, a clip of him like literally just collapsing and then reading all of this like they're doing CPR on him. They're using the AED device. Sa- saved his life yes. from what I understand by doing those things. Yes. Um, took him to the hospital. Um, Where he is still at, I believe. Yes. And in critical condition as far as I mm-hmm. know. Um, so, uh, scary, scary. And that, that whole thing was about a 25 to 30 minute process of them, like getting him, uh, off into the ambulance and then uh, out of there. Uh, but this, again, it reminds you of the risk of playing football. And again, we're not medical doctors. We don't know what actually happened in terms of what medically caused him to collapse. Obviously, there's plenty of people on Twitter who have ideas, but mm-hmm. um, uh, clearly his heart must have stopped if they're doing CPR yeah. and they're using the AED device, um, which that can be caused by a variety of different things as well. Um, but uh, grateful that he so far has survived and I think it looks like he's going to survive. Now, what sort of long-term – Yeah, I don't uh, know complications or effects are going to be there are but every indication it seems like he's uh, a well-loved dude has 24 years old yeah 24 year old guy um so scary really very scary. scary uh and it was it, this is obviously a much 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 less significance um but it's a public relations nightmare for the NFL oh yeah because they not i mean just the fact of having a player like that like essentially Almost in one sense, 
dying. Yeah, needing, on the field, needing to needing be, to be resuscitated. resuscitated. Yeah, um, and then being brought back. Uh, but then it took him so long to can- to to cancel the game. They got him off the field, and they announced, "Well, we're going to give him five players five minutes to warm up, and uh, we'll we'll get back at it." And it took, oh, did they announce that? Yeah, I did not hear and it that. Took the, it took the coaches, like the Bengals coach, came across to talk with the Bills coach and was like. Yeah, that's not happening, guys. Like, we are not starting up in five minutes. Like, look at look at these guys. Like, how do My you tell them to go back and play? My understanding, guys were in absolute tears. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> shaken by what had happened. Yeah, and I think they're picking up the game tonight. Is that no, right? I haven't seen that, so okay. I don't know. It could be okay. But uh, and then it took them forever. And then the the poor poor ESPN folks. What do you say? Yeah. But you're expected to fill the air and that's, you know, like I felt bad for them. So th- there'd be like – Who's this, Steve Levy now? Well, in the – no, no, no. It's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman in that's the booth. Right. That's right. But then they kick it to the uh, to the studio and you got uh, – oh, I can't think of her name. But there's Booger McFarlane and there's Adam Schefter and then there's uh, Susie Culver. That's who it is. Yeah. And they're just supposed to fill time. What do you say? After you said it about a million times of – we feel awful for this guy. This reminds you that football is nowhere near as important as a man's life. Like sure. after you say that about thirty times, what are you supposed to say? So I just felt terrible for them. And then finally, they you know, then they'd bounce it back to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and they'd do the same little routine of this is awful, never seen anything like this. Long pauses. We don't know what to say, <laughs> and then back to the studio. You know, yeah. so but uh, hopefully. Um, he ends up making a full recovery um, regardless of whether he ever plays game of football again in his life. Um, But, um, yeah, just very sad. Very sad. All right. Uh, Ready to move on, John? Yes, sir. So today, to start the new year, we are starting a new series on the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, John, why are we starting this series besides the obvious thing of we need content? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that, that's always the given. Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of always uh, our response. Um, I started a book I, called The Holy Trinity, um, and have been reading through that. It's it's a tome. Um, it's a big book, but uh, yeah, I, he made some interesting points about the Trinity. I was like, and I and I brought this to you as a possible topic, and mm-hmm. we kind of we kind of went from there over some Mexican food. Yeah, um, when I was sick. Yes, and not because of the Mexican food. At no, least this time. No, at least this time. <laughs> it has happened before. That it has it was because of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, uh, I, I was attracted to the topic as well, just because um, I think this is a topic that um, it's a doctrine that's just not well understood in the evangelical church. And so, for all of the renaissance of biblical theology that's taken place in the last. 25 years, 25, 30 years, um, there has not been a corresponding uh, renaissance in systematic theology, though I think that's beginning to change. Hmm. But uh, I think that the doctrine of the Trinity um, is one of those things that uh, has been significantly neglected within the evangelical church for for quite a while. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, that's such a hard question to answer. I think part of it uh, 
has to do – I think part of it has to do with the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment wants like solid facts, repeatable, understandable things uh, to be to be uh, understood. And I think we see a turn in the 1700s, 1800s uh, in systematic theologies from – the Trinity playing a really central focus in those theologies mm-hmm. uh, to uh, um, more modern systematics books where where it's not held up held up as much. So, in you know, I'm, I'm getting to the end of that Holy Trinity book. One of the mm-hmm. things he keeps pointing out is people uh, like Charles Hodge, uh, people like uh, is it Burkhoff, mm-hmm. um have great systematic theology books. However, they have 250 pages on the doctrine of God before they get to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's lost its place of prominence seemingly yeah. uh, post-Middle Ages uh, in the uh, – yeah. in, so, in sort of the Enlightenment time period. So I, I think that's a bit of my meandering long answer to that question. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, I would add that um, I think uh, – the deeply ingrained pragmatism of evangelicalism makes the doctrine of the Trinity feel like unnecessary or at least like not 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 that important. Unnecessary is the wrong term. Just not how, central. Well, just how is that practical? Yeah. Like I understand how justification by faith is practical to me. Mm-hmm. I understand how sanctification is practical to me. But the Trinity how is that practical to me? How does that really uh, help me love my neighbor well? How does that help me fight sin in my life? How does mm-hmm. that help me, you know, whatever other area you might fill in the blank with? And I think because there's such a pragmatic bent in evangelicalism that if you can't draw a straight line from this doctrine to this particular piece of life directly, then those sort of doctrines – kind of get shelved, mm-hmm. not like uh, abandoned, but just like, well, yeah, we have that on the shelf for reference purposes, but not like everyday use. Yeah. Um, so we are going to do a several-week series on this. Um, and I, uh, one other area where I think it's been uh, perhaps abused, so even where it has been used, and this is where a book that I'm reading uh, by Matthew Barrett called Simply Trinity Mm-hmm. is really just hammering away at this, um, is that where the Trinity has been put to use, so to speak, it's been done in uh, unhelpful ways, meaning that it's been uh, used for purposes that it was not intended for, but both by conservatives and by liberals in the sense of when you stress the sort of the, the social nature of the Trinity – Mm. And the uh, mutual love that that some on the more liberal end of the spectrum move towards, well, that therefore that justifies socialism. <laughs> what? <laughs> like what? But then you've got others on the conservative end who are like, now look at how the relationships of the Trinity work um, in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit, and how there is. Um, you know, submission, uh, the son submits to the father. Well, that's a pattern for male and female relationships in the family and the church. And, you know, so basically the doctrine of the Trinity has become uh, useful in those contexts for things that 
it wasn't probably necessarily intended to sure. have uh, and that gets back to your pragmatic bent, right? Exactly. It has to have some sort of connection to to everyday yes. sort of life. Yeah. yeah. So um so yeah, uh what we are going to do is we're gonna take several weeks on this. Today we're just gonna do a very brief introduction to a sort of what is the doctrine of the Trinity? Uh, and then um, from there, we'll move on uh, the next several weeks to unpack specific parts of this. And um, So here is my definition. Um, and this is sort of modified. Um, this is my attempt to be simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, this doesn't say everything, but I think it says enough. Uh, there is one God who exists in three persons – the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with each of those persons being God. Yep. Now, in one sense, it's simple to say that. But then when you start to break that down, it becomes complex. Oh, yeah. I mean, even even that term persons yeah. is a debated term. Yes. Uh, you know, there's um, – I was reading uh, last night Karl Barth. Uh, did you know that in the German translation, he wants he doesn't like the word persons. I, I can't remember exactly why, but he wants to replace that with modes of being. Yeah, and that just sent off alarm bells in my head. Like, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. Well, you're thinking probably of modalism coming down there. Yes. Down, yes. Yeah. Which he opposed. Like, right, like right. he he was very against modalism. Right. Yeah. But. Even translating that, I feel, it feels like a bit of a slippery slope. Sure, sure. So um, here's what we're going to do. We are going to uh, – and I'm borrowing this from Wayne Grudem's chapter in his Systematic Theology book. Now, caveat, I know there are people who are critical of some of the stuff that Wayne Grudem has on the Trinity, um, though I don't think this particular piece of it is stuff that he's criticized for. Mm-hmm. I think it's other stuff. So uh, just to be clear, I'm not necessarily endorsing everything Wayne Grudem has written about the Trinity, but this I think is helpful. He breaks it down into three helpful summary statements for the doctrine of the Trinity. There is one God. Number two, God exists in three persons. Actually, let me back up. So let me explain. There is one God. Basically, that's the central conviction of the Old Testament sure. and the New Testament. I mean, Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. I mean that, that was the central confession of Judaism in Jesus' day. And what set Judaism apart, right? Yeah. The, the sort of monotheistic exactly. uh, uh, religion. Yeah. Hero mm-hmm. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, that's reaffirmed in the New Testament. Yep. Uh, you have 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 4 through 6, where Paul picks that up. Um and even Jesus in the Gospels affirms that mm-hmm. in terms of uh, his statement of that. So it's uh, the New Testament absolutely does not in any way waver on the conviction. There is only one God. Mm-hmm. Now, the second statement, God exists in three persons. There's that term again. We'll have to come back at some point and, and talk about that. But um, basically, the way he unpacks this, I think, is – this can seem simplistic, but it's necessary. In other words, the Father is not the Son, 
or the Spirit. And the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. They are distinct, and then I've seen another term besides persons being used, subsistences. So here we have the distinction between essence, Mm -hmm. what makes God God, and then these subsistences, these um, persons. And so again, here's where we're getting into this um, you know, in a technical language, but what what we have to keep in mind here is this: these are attempts to synthesize and summarize what the Bible points to. So even though the term Trinity, or even though the term, you know, I mean, the term person is used in the Bible, but not necessarily in this way. Sure. Uh, and that makes some people like, oh, well, it's not explicitly in the Bible. Well, but we're trying to put together these pieces of information that the Bible teaches us about God, that there's one God and that there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they're each God. And, and, and holding each of those uh, – each of these truths that the Scripture does talk about, yeah. right? Holding each, each of them equally. Yes. Um, where we get into heresy, right, is when we elevate one yes. and discount the other. Yes. Uh, we end up in in sort of a modalistic uh, right. space, or even a, even a uh, triism, uh, tritheism, tritheism, mm-hmm. or uh, or yes, you, you just end up in some when when you elevate one and discount yes. another. Yeah, and then the third sort of statement is each person of the Trinity is fully God. Um, so the Father, the Son, uh, and, and the Spirit are all are each affirmed as being fully God. Um, there's no debate about the father. <laughs> yep. There was early debate about the son in terms of you know Arius and, and we'll get into some of those uh, down the road. But um, I think the spirit is also one of those uh, issues where it's well, does the Bible re- you know it could be easy to think well the spirit is this sort of nebulous force or power or energy. You hear people mm-hmm. talk in those terms, but um, no, the spirit is a person. He is fully God. And one of the best texts I think that shows that is uh, in Acts 5 in the story of um, where um, Ananias and Sapphira uh, make the plot to sell some land and portray it as uh, they sold it for a certain price and keeping some of the proceeds. Uh, Peter says in consecutive lines basically uh, he equates why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to God? Mm-hmm. Like putting those two in parallel, saying lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. Yeah. Um, and so you've got, again, there's one God. God exists in three persons. Each person is fully God. And as you said, if you if you either deny one of those statements or emphasize one of them to the uh, to the neglect of the others – that's where you're walking into heresy. Mm-hmm. So um, that's yeah. where that's where we're going for like the next what month? Yeah, I think we've got three more episodes we planned okay. out on this. Okay. So um, it'll be good. It'll be a little mind stretching. Yeah, I think, I think for, so for for you and I, and certainly for our listeners as well. Yeah. Um, I think that again, this this is where because. Here's where I'm going to put my caveat. It is absolutely helpful and valuable to stretch our minds to think in these categories, and it, it's important mm-hmm. for us 
to think well and to think biblically and theologically about this topic. But what you have to be careful about, I think, is um, not losing the sense of mystery Mm -hmm. and wonder that the God that we interact with is triune. Mm -hmm. And he has always been triune. He has always been the three in one. Mm -hmm. And um, I think sometimes some of these discussions can get so technical, they can feel dry. Like, oh my gosh, we're talking about you know essence and subsistence and usia and you know like all the Greek terms, hypostasis, and, yeah, yeah, like all these sorts of things where you're like, that this is where the evangelical pragmatism pops up. Why does that matter? <laughs> well, it does matter because we want to we want to know God rightly, mm-hmm. and to the extent that we know Him rightly, we are better positioned to worship Him. And follow him and obey him more, um, more consistently. I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's just a very basic statement um, on those. Uh, what do you think? Where do you think most uh, people in the pews, so to speak, if they if they emphasize one of those over the other, which do you think they might gravitate towards? Probably depends on the denomination. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example now. Um, I could see some more liberal congregations focusing on his humanity Mm -hmm. a bit more. On Jesus' humanity, yeah. Yeah, on Jesus' humanity over his deity. Mm -hmm. um, I could see um, a more... uh, the theologically engaged congregation, maybe maybe tilting in the other direction, maybe even going to the point of tritheism or you mm-hmm. know you know something something along those lines. Yeah, or a practical modalism, basically. That's where I think most evangelicals are. Yeah, a practical modalism. Yeah, meaning that they they think well, there's only one God, but then when they think about the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, they they think of well, that's one God acting in three different modes uh, or sort of, you know, categories or, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, and that's where you get some of these analogies, right, that people attempt to use that are actually unhelpful, right? I, I think I'm at a spot where I, analogies are no longer helpful when describing the Trinity. Yes, I've stopped using any of them. It's, unless you're describing heresies, that's, <laughs> right. where, that's where illustrations right. are really helpful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that, that's a that's a good place for us to start. Um, next week, uh, next episode, we're going to look at um, the Trinity in the New Testament because that's where it's where the where the Trinity comes out into the open, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do a whole another episode on the Trinity in the Old Testament, but if you just have the Old Testament, you don't have the full clarity of the doctrine of the Trinity. Oh, yeah. You have all sorts of hints and all sorts of breadcrumbs, but not really the actual doctrine itself. So next week, we'll do New Testament. The following week, we'll do Old Testament. And then the week after that... Historical. We'll, yeah. And we'll we'll talk uh, several of the heresies and we'll talk some of the creeds mm-hmm. <clears throat> in terms of uh, how they came up with that. So, All right. Well, you ready to move on? Yes, we need to move on. 
It is time now for This Week in Sports, This Day in Sports History. Yeah, This Day in Sports History, January 3rd, 2023. Um, 1920, January 3rd, uh, announces an uh, agreement. Who announces an agreement? Uh, the the Red Sox, right? Yes. Uh, announce an agreement to sell Slugger, uh, Babe Ruth, to the New York Yankees for $125,000 in cash. And a $350,000 loan. Yeah. That's a lot of money back in 1920. Yeah. <laughs> um, start of the 84-year Curse of the Bambino, uh, which – what a name, Curse of the Bambino. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean th- that is without question one of the most defining transactions in sports history. Absolutely. And apparently – falls a piano, right? A piano got tossed in – Yeah. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Anyway. Uh, so that's that's one that's today in sports history. Uh, 1983, Dallas running back Tony Dorsett sets NFL record with a 99-yard rush in the Cowboys' 31 to 27 win over the Minnesota Vikings. That was on a Monday night game. Nice. That's a long run. Uh, it's as long as you can go. Yeah. 1993, the comeback uh, quarterback Frank Reich. I like Frank. Uh, leads the Bills back from a 32-point deficit to defeat the Houston Oilers, now the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. 41-38 in overtime um, in a wild-card playoff game, the greatest comeback in NFL history. I guess that has to be tweaked now to the greatest comeback in postseason mm-hmm. history. Yeah. Yeah, you're right because the Vikings came back against not Frank Wright's Colts, which would have been interesting. That would have been fabulous, yeah. Uh, but Jeff Saturdays, yeah. which is, is, is weird to say. <laughs> yes. Um, 2003, uh, college football fifth BCS National Championship, Sun Devil Stadium, uh, Tempe, Arizona. I've been outside that stadium, by yeah. the way. Uh, number two, Ohio State beats number one Miami 31-24 in two overtimes in the 32nd Fiesta Bowl. Great game, yeah. That was a good. I remember that game. Epic. Um, the, uh, I mean, Ohio State going into that game. I think I, I don't know if they were a ten point underdog at that point, but it, it was more than a touchdown. Uh, and Miami was coming into that game on like a thirty, it's like a thirty-one game win streak. Mm. Um, and so uh, nobody gave Ohio State a chance in that game. And looking back at our offense, it's miraculous. We had an unbelievable defense that carried us. That was the uh, um, Maurice Claret. I was year. about to say Maurice Claret. I think um, was on those teams. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean Ohio State. That was sort of the resurgence of Ohio State, yeah. or it felt that way yep. at least to, yep. to, to me. Um, that's the game where uh, the game ended. After the first uh, overtime when um, Ohio State threw an incompletion into the end zone and there was a flag mm. on, on fourth down that gave Ohio State a first down that was defensive holding that turned into pass interference. Controversial call. Correct call, but controversial. Was this also the cornerback blitz? Was there a cornerback blitz uh, against Miami from Ohio State? That was in the second overtime on the last play. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, lots of lots of fun memories from that. Um, so, uh, if you if you'd like to choose that, you can. I mean, is there any other real choice? I mean, come on, people, let's go. Let's be honest here. Let's go. <laughs> um, 
All right. One thing you liked. Uh, I have discovered a new app. It is a free app. It is called Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, Matter, where you can download uh, and put PDFs, articles from the internet, forward emails to it, and you can have unlimited highlights on that, save it, put tags on it. You can also listen to it. Um, It will play the audio through, through probably the best um, best uh, uh, computer generated speech that I've ever heard. Hmm. It's been a great app. I've been looking for one for years and this is the best. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll check that out. Um, I That sounds attractive to me. I, I, I always get nervous though. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, do I want to invest the learning curve and the time to make that my go-to and then stay with it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that does sound has a web clipper as well, so you can. So it sounds similar to in some ways to Evernote. Then it's simpler than Evernote, certainly. Like you can't make a note and go in and type things, put pictures in there, and things like that. So it's strictly for basically for filing, um, filing things, store like organizing what you are content that's already existing, not creating new, no, right? Creating new content. Like if you come across. A David Brooks Atlanta article that's 7,000 words and you're like, I do not have time to sit on my computer and just w- read <laughs> this for 40 minutes. Yeah. You throw it in the matter. You can go listen to it on your drive. And Yeah. The reading thing is, 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 is a game changer potentially on that. Yeah. To be able that's, to listen to that. That's why I love it. OK. Um, my one thing I liked uh, was – on our way out to Omaha and then back, we listened to the autobiography of Mike Pence oh. called So Help Me God. Hmm. Now, my wife – we we got – in our travels, we'd, I, we didn't fully finish it. Uh, my wife went on and just finished it by herself. So I sought to finish it. But um, it's fascinating. Hmm. And, and it's – part of what's interesting is, of course, we live here in Indiana. So it's not – so some of the stuff like growing up and his experience here in Indiana um, was, oh, that, yeah, that directly had an effect on me. You know, some of the legislation, some of the things he did as governor of Indiana and such. Um, and even just the dynamics of his relationship with Trump are interesting. I'm sure. I'm um, sure it's fascinating. So now I haven't gotten to the January 6th stuff yet. Yeah, that'll be and real fascinating. And Kate did. And um, her take was basically – what was remarkable was um, the fact that, you know, again, this is from Mike Pence's perspective. But I would hope that even people who can't stand anything related to Trump or even Republicans or anything like that, I hope they recognize what a, I will use the term, heroic thing he did in standing in terms of, no, this is what the Constitution says and this is what we're going to do. Yep. Despite remarkable pressure from his own president to uh, not do that, I think his. I don't know if it'll be in Pence's lifetime, but I think history will look on him positively. Yes, it will not be in his lifetime. It will um, not be. No, but uh, man, it is. It, it is remarkable to to think about that, and um, I, I think he is a legitimate believer, like not hmm. just a. You know, I know the right things to say to pander to my base kind of person, but I think he's a real deal, faithful, genuine 
believer. Uh, and that comes out repeatedly in, in, in the book. So awesome. Um, that was uh, so help me God. And he, he reads it himself. That's always better. It is. When the author reads his own book, mm-hmm. it's always better. All right. We have talked um, Christmas, New Year's. We've talked some football. We've talked a very scary situation with a uh, player, Damar Hamlin. Uh, Hopefully he makes a full recovery. We've begun our series on the Trinity. We have talked Ohio State's national championship win in 2003. We've talked about an app that has changed John's life. Absolutely. And we've talked about the autobiography of Mike Pence. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry things. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.